Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. That kind of Sunday. Here we go. So, I love a good Western. I, you know, I, I was talking to somebody earlier that as a kid I didn't really love a good Western, but now I love a good Western. I love just, you know, that whole cowboy mentality and, and uh, just, I love, this is my favorite one, Tombstone is my favorite. There's really no pertinent need for me to have played that scene this morning other than I love a good Western, and um, it's, that is really one of the greatest <laughs> of them all. Uh, we're continuing our series this morning. Uh, called Illusions, where we're looking into the book of Ecclesiastes and looking at several different um, illusions, if you will, that, that, that the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes calls himself the preacher. The preacher says, I, I looked for meaning in life in all these different areas and, I, and, and found out that everything was meaningless. And last week we looked at the, the, the pleasure um, illusion, which is that if you just seek a life full of pleasure, more experiences, more happiness, then, then somehow your life will find some meaning. And we found that that was meaningless as well, unless our pleasure came from God. And then, and then this week, we're talking about the cowboy illusion. The cowboy illusion is that illusion that actually, I think a lot of us love to buy into because we're Americans. It's, it's kind of ingrained into who we are. We like that cowboy mentality, that mentality that says, if I'm tough enough, if I'm strong enough, if I'm a, if I'm a big enough man, a big enough woman, woman, then there's nothing I can't do, and I don't need anybody help, and I don't need any authority, and I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I'm just going to do it the way I want to do, and I'm going to slap the people in my way and get it all done. And, and, and a lot of the world still looks as, at us, even though we're you know, decades, if not you know, a century or so out of the, that cowboy stage of our history, the, the world still looks at us as kind of that cowboy country. If you don't believe me, look at uh, how did our Olympians dress as they walked into the arena this year at the Summer Olympics. Cowboy hats, Western wear, and they do it every year. It's, it is kind of ingrained again in, into who we are. And so we're looking at um, where the writer of Ecclesiastes kind of, he takes some time looking at this idea of work, or a, he calls it a toil, and, and how that if, if we work hard enough and, and that sort of thing, then and we put all of our effort into our work and, 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 and it's often to the neglect of other things in our life, then somehow that'll give us meaning in our life. And he again finds that it's meaningless. But you know, what we're going to look at this morning is um, he kind of looks at kind of the dark side, uh, one of the darker sides of that whole work ethic. <coughs> Pardon me. And so turn to Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes 4, we're going to start with verse 4. All right. By the way, you guys picked the wrong service to come to today. My first sermon was much shorter than this one's going to be. Um, <laughs> just, just a little... Just a little insider uh, information there. Actually, seriously, it was. I had, my stomach attacked me, and I had to say a quick amen and run to the bathroom. And uh, that's the first time. It's, I know you guys are like TMI, but that's okay. We're all family here. And so, but anyway, you guys are going to get the, the full version of the sermon this morning. So um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting with verse 4, the preacher says this. says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's meaningless, in other words. And, uh, and basically what he's saying is that, you know, when you, when you get to that kind of unhealthy place <clears throat> where, where you are um, 
working so hard to get the things that everybody else has that um, a lot of times that work ethic is not so much a healthy work ethic, which, by the way, the Bible does encourage a healthy work ethic, but that work ethic really comes from a place of pride, really comes from a a place of pride, where somehow uh, our egos feel damaged if we're not out there uh, getting what everybody else is getting and, and having, you know, doing what everybody else is doing. It's all about comparing ourselves. Then he says this, the fool holds his hands and eats his own flesh. That's a weird statement. Basically what he's doing, he's contrasting this statement with the previous statement. So the, the, the first statement was about somebody who works too much. This one is about somebody who's not working at all. In other words, instead of working with his hands, he's just going to fold his hands. He's going to fold his hands together. He's just going to sit back and do nothing and, and not even going to go out and get food for himself to eat. He's just going to eat his own flesh, which is kind of gross, but that's what it says. All right. Then he says this, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. <coughs> Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up again. Lift him up Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And he says this, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So he, he kind of paints this picture for us of somebody who is just working, working, working for the whole purpose of boosting their own ego. They can do it themselves. They don't need anybody, any, anybody's help. Um, I, I don't need any assistance. Just let me do my thing. And, and what that results in is somebody who, well... It doesn't go well for him. It doesn't go well for him. You know, we do buy into this kind of cowboy mentality in our lives. Men, men especially. We, 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 like to, we like that idea of the self-made man. We like that idea of, of being able to conquer the world on our own. If we just try hard enough, if we work hard enough, if we're tough enough, then, then we can do anything. But you know what? W- women do this too. In fact, I, I would say that women, today's woman, is probably the new American cowboy. Um, and, 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 and when I say that, I say this, that a lot of women have this mentality of, um, I can be the CEO, I can be super mom, super wife, I can be active in community organizations, I can do everything, never stop, never breathe, never sleep, and get it all done and get it all done perfectly, and you guys know as well as I do that the end of that road is usually uh, some sort of breakdown. I'm not just speaking about women there. I'm talking about men too. Men too. When we have that mentality of I can do everything and I don't need anybody, to, anybody else's wisdom to tell me to slow down. I don't need anybody else to help me. I can just go and do it all. Then the, the end of that road is, is, is usually bad. It's burnout. It's, it's just, it's ugly a lot of times. It's ugly. Now, it's not to say you can't do some things. It's just to say, we should exercise some wisdom when we do those things. We should exercise some wisdom. 
It's tough, though. It's tough. You know, when the world around us has that kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mentality, um, it's hard for some people to take wisdom from other people. They want, to know, they want to believe that the way they have come up with to do their life is the best way. And all too often, that's just not the case. It's just not the case. I can, there have been a lot of situations in my own life where I thought I knew the best plan for my life. And then when I embarked out on that plan, I realized this was a horrible mistake. Horrible mistake. And meanwhile, people are trying to flag me down and tell me my mistake. And I'm just like, no, you don't know me. I know me. This is what's best for me. And then it turns out a lot of times they're right. A lot of times they're right. I see this a lot in people who, who need to, are at a place in their life where they need to stop and, and ask for some help. You guys ever seen anybody who was just in desperate need of stopping and asking for some help, but just refused to do it? Refused, like their pride was so huge, they refused to say, I really can't do this by myself. You know where I see, as a pastor, I see this a lot in marriages. A lot in marriages. Where, a, where couples come to me for, for counseling when it's too late. When it's just like, they're, you know, they're, the paper's in hand, they're on the verge of divorce, and now it's like, can you help us? And, and yes, there's always help, but there should have been signs before the divorce paper showed up that something was a little off, right? But we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to believe that we can't take care of this, that we can't do it on our own. We don't want to believe that. It's, it's tough for us to believe that. We, we teach our kids, you know, that um, you can do whatever you want if you just set your mind to it. Will you guys please stop teaching your kids that? <laughs> please. Please. Stop teaching your kids that they can do whatever they want if they just set their minds to it because it's not true and you're not helping them. Now, you guys, had, that's very uncomfortable laughter for you because none of you want to say, no, my kid, you know, my kid, you, we all want to believe my kid can do everything. Your kid can't do everything. He just, if you don't believe me, who here has ever watched the first couple of weeks of American Idol? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? Really? That is two solid weeks of kids whose parents told them they could do anything and didn't love them enough to tell them except sing. Right? We can't do anything. There's a lot of things that we can do, and there's a lot of things that we should be encouraging our kids to do. But guess what? Love your kids enough to also tell them, this may not be your thing. May not be your thing. If you want to continue to make it your thing, that's fine. I'll support you, but I'm going to give you a little warning right now. It may not be your thing. May not. That's love. That's true love. Okay? We can't do We, can't, we just can't. We can't do everything. The Bible, you know, a lot of people will use the Bible to, to, to say that. They'll say, well, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, but that's not really what it's talking about. <laughs> what it's saying is you can do anything in Christ that Christ wants you to do. Whatever God impresses on your life for you to do, whatever his will for your life is, whatever he calls you to do, he will also give you the ability, the power to do it. That's what that verse is talking about. There are some things that we just can't do. I could list a bunch of things I can't do, but I'm not going to do that. So anyway, this, you know, not only in practical living and life does this show up, but it also shows up in our faith as well. <coughs> a lot of people uh, in their faith uh, want to kind of have that cowboy mentality. 
I'll tell you where it really shows up is, um, well, a couple different places. There was once, um, it was my very first youth ministry job. I was like 19 or 20 years old. And uh, I was just volunteering to do the work and was loving it, had a, had a great time. After about a year, a year and a half of doing it, I uh, needed to move on. I was moving to a different city. And, uh, and so I, I moved on. And then after about six months or so, talked to somebody who was still involved in that youth ministry. And so how, how's the youth ministry going? And I'm asking these questions. And, and I, I, the answer I got was, man, things are great. The, you know, the youth group's growing and it's doing all these things. And, man, things are it's just really booming. And uh, I got to admit, this is me admitting my sinfulness, my 19-year-old sinfulness. <clears throat> I was a little upset about that. Because you know what I wanted to hear? You guys know what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear, dude, this thing's falling apart without you. Right? It, it, there's, there's no way this thing could survive without you. Will you please come back? That, that, that was my pride. That was my ego getting in the way of what was God's best, right? And sometimes that happens. In a, if you find yourself in a place where you're involved in some sort of ministry, any kind of ministry at all, and you find yourself thinking, without me, this thing would fall apart, can I tell you, that is not a movement of God. That is a movement of you. And you know what? I want to be involved in a movement of God. Because I can only move so far, but there's no limit to how and where and when and why God can move. He can move in ways that I could never even think of. I want to be a part of something that I can't explain. I want to be a part of something, a, a movement of God so big that I look at it and I'm like, I, I have no idea how that happened. It has to be God. It has to be God. And we got to let our egos get out of the way. The other way this plays out is in our, in our faith is when we look at our relationship with God. <coughs> Pardon me. We look at our relationship with God. Now, this is the thing about if you've been to church at least a, a few times, you, you've probably heard the basic message of the gospel, which is that we cannot earn favor with God. That our salvation, our standing with God is, a, is grace. It's a free gift that he gives us. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You cannot be good enough to, to earn a, a rightful place of standing with God. You cannot be good enough. Only Jesus Christ could, and that's why it's grace. That's why it's a gift, right? Now, we have that head knowledge. We, 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 we know that information. But what happens in our lives is the longer that we start... Um, the uh, longer that we are Christians, the longer we're walking in this faith thing and doing the whole church thing, we tend to lose sight of that information. We still can recite it, we still have the head knowledge, and we still say we believe it, but the way that we actually start living, our, living out our lives is one, instead of living in a place of just gratitude for the grace that has been given us, we start looking at everybody else. And what happens is we start, instead of looking at God as the supreme example and as the only giver of grace, we begin to look at everybody else and start asking things like, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm at least better than, you know, this half of the room, right? I did this because I didn't want to point anybody out, right? I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, and by the way, if you're attending Living Hope, that's a really easy game to play because we are all screwed up. We are. You can look around and you can find all kinds of people that you're probably doing better, better than. And that's fine, but th th this is the thing, that our relationship with God is not, is not, is not based on how good you are. It's completely based on how good he is and how much he loves us. 
And so you can play that comparison game all day long. You can try to, you know, work up a list of, of do's and don'ts and try to tick them off and feel good about, you know, the fact that you dude and didn't do all the things that, you know, God wanted you to do or not do. You can try to feel good that way, but that is meaningless. It's meaningless because it's just a, it's a, it's a exercise in futility. Jesus points this out with a couple stories. Uh, one, one of them, that we, we oftentimes hear them taught or preached separately, but they're really linked. And I'm going to show you the link here in just a second. But he starts off in Mark 10, verses 15 and 16. <coughs> Mark 10. He's been surrounded by a bunch of kids, and uh, the disciples start trying to drive the kids away to leave him alone. And he instead just scoops them up and spends some time loving on them. And then he says this. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So he gives us this teaching. It's, it's a crucial teaching to our faith. And he says this, if you cannot receive the kingdom of God like a little child, then you can't go in. You can't enter into the kingdom if you cannot receive it like a little child. This is, it's not a small teaching. This is a big teaching. The reason it's a big teaching, first of all, when we hear that phrase, you might be tempted to think things, what, 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 well, first of all, what does that mean? Uh, is he talking about, are we supposed to be immature or super playful all the time? You know, what, what does that mean? We have to be like, like little children. And, first, and if you have that cowboy mentality, you really don't want to hear that because you, you don't have any patience for immaturity and playfulness. You're all about business and getting things done, right? So, so what, is, what is he really saying? Well, first, he's not, saying, he's not encouraging us to be immature. He's encouraging us to have a proper perspective of who we are and who God is. Who we are and who God is. And approach him like a little child. And I always use the example of my own kids. My kids come to me. They cannot um, improve their standing with me as their father by anything they give me or anything that they do for me. That, that I love them not based on how good they are or how they never screw up or whatever. I love them based on just the fact that they're my kids. I, I, I love them. I mean, we may have some bad days as a family, right? Anybody ever, has, ever had a bad day as a family? We may have some horrible bad days as a family where I may e- even end up incredibly disappointed in the actions of my kids, but it doesn't change my love for them. I still love for them. I still want the best for them. I still would do anything for them. And it's the same thing with God. You can try to bring God all these little gifts and this, these achievements and, and, you know, your goodness and everything else. And God smiles at that and, and he loves your desire to please him. But ultimately, his love for you is not based on any of that. It's just based on the fact that you're his. That he chose you as his son or his daughter. The Bible says that you have been adopted into his family. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You guys know your kids will bring stuff to you? Little drawings, scribbled things on paper and, you know, stuff, or stuff that they made in school and, and uh, lots of art, little arts and crafts projects. And, and, uh, and you know, uh, okay, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look like a horrible parent. Okay, but I'm just going to be honest. Ready? Okay. Um, that stuff drives me crazy. The stuff actually drives me crazy. I love it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love it. 
but our refrigerator can only handle so much artwork, right? And, and it just starts piling up and piling up and piling up, and you guys do. Now, there's some of you, I'm sure, a few of you that actually take those little art things and you, well, I don't know, you laminate them and you press them or whatever. You put them in a little box somewhere that you're going to give them to them someday, whatever that is. For us, we let that stuff stack up on the refrigerator for so long, and then one night when they're asleep, we clear it all off and we throw it in the trash, right? You Like, you don't, please. <laughs> Please, don't leave me standing up here alone. You know you do the same thing. You know you do the same Some of you, maybe some of you don't. Some of you are sitting next to your kids going, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. Ask them where they are then, kids. Ask them where they are, okay? So anyway, I'm just saying that's the way it is. Now, it's not that you don't like those things. It's not that you, you, you aren't even impressed by those things sometimes. It's just that ultimately, it's just things. It's just stuff. I'm more impressed with my kids than I are their, their little gifts to me. And it's kind of the same thing with God. You can bring your best to him all the time, and you should be bringing your best to God all the time. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But ultimately, it's not that stuff. It's not the refrigerator art that you're giving God that makes him love you. It's just the fact that he loves you. It's in his nature to love you. He can't help but love you. I can't help but love my kids. There was something imprinted on my heart with each one of my kids when they were born that can never be taken away. And it's the same thing with God. When we enter into a relationship with him, we are imprinted in him in such a way that he, he just can't help. But It actually happens before we enter into a relationship with him. He loves us that much. He loves us. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. All right. Now, he just gave us a little teaching about being little children, coming to the kingdom like little children. Now I'm getting ready to, to read uh, what is probably the stupidest question in the Bible. Mark 10, start with the very next verse, start with verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, <coughs> a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like he just told them you can't do anything. Just told them. And, and immediately somebody's running up to him saying, what do I got to do? What, give me the list. What do I got to do? And so I can just imagine Jesus in this moment. He's like, okay, you want to play this game? Let's play this game. Here we go. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Here's the list. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And the man said to him, teacher, all these I have done, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, catch this, this is important. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. Now, a lot of people have taken this passage and, say, and said, you know, for, for this man, his path to Jesus wasn't selling his possessions. And I really think that misses the point of this passage. I think Jesus' whole purpose of saying that was, if you really want to play this game, this game where you try to earn your way to me, then we can do that. You know the list. You know the Ten Commandments. And he's like, I've done them all. It's like, okay, one more thing then. Because Jesus knew his heart. Sell everything and come follow me. I love the fact that the Bible says he looked at him and he loved him enough to say that to him. 
He loved him enough to say that because he needed that man to realize it's not about that. It's not about that. Sometimes we teach our own kids really hard lessons like that, don't we? You can't play that game with Jesus because it's a gift. You can't pay for a gift. You can't pay for a gift. That'd be a pretty jacked up gift if you had to pay for it, right? Like if my kids had to give me money for their Christmas presents, that's that's an amazing plan, and somebody should market that plan, but it's, it's really not right, is it? It's really not right at all. It's the same thing in our standing with Jesus. You can't earn that. You just can't. And for all of us with that cowboy mentality that we want to kind of show Jesus, I'm, I'm doing this so good. I'm so good. I'm, I'm, I, I've been trying as hard as I can to live. You love me, love me, love me. I've, I've been, I'm serving more. I'm giving more. I need you to love me, love me, love me more. And we're constantly doing that with Jesus. And Jesus is just looking at us like, dude, I love you already. I love you already. Quit playing this game. Yes, try to live for me. Yes, obey the, the, the scripture. But do it out of your love for me, not because you're you're trying to get love from me. Just do it as a natural response. That, that's the way that works, right? That when, when you have somebody in your life that you genuinely, genuinely love and that you have seen they genuinely love you, the natural response is to do things that make them happy. I have changed so much of my life of who I am uh, as, as a man because of Jamie Myers. I've changed so much of my life. There are so many things in my life that, that I do now as her husband for, of 18 years that did not and, and do not come natural to me as a man, but I do it because I love her. You guys know the things I'm talking about. There, there's lots of stuff. The whole toilet seat. I mean, any, really, the whole toilet seat argument? Really? And you can have that argument all day long, the toilet seat argument. You can have that argument all day long. You will not win that argument. You're just not going to do it. It, it, it. And that's just a small thing. Tons and tons of things that I've changed about my life, and I'm sure she's changed for me as well. I know she has. But why do I do that? Is it because she nags at me all the time? No, that's not the reason. I do it because I love her, because I see how much she loves me. And if I can bring her some little bit of happiness through you know, changes in my life, then I'm going to do that. It's the same thing in our relationship with Christ. I know how much he loves me. He died for me. He died for me. So knowing how much he loves me, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a jerk if I don't love him back. I'm a jerk if I don't try to obey him. And so I try. Not because I want to improve my standing with him, just simply because, because I love him. And when you have a relationship with God that is based on Love, instead of being based on this game of trying to earn favor, that's a game changer. It's a game changer. For all of us cowboys and cowgirls in the room who want to go out and do our own thing and make our own way and make our own path to God and whatever it might be, I'm telling you, that is an exhausting game. It's an exhausting game. It's a game you can't win. You know, there's something else. Well, first of all, the, the point there, go ahead and put it up there, actually. The point there is that um, true independence is found in a life of dependence on God. True independence is found in a life of dependence on God. When you really want to experience true freedom, true independence in your life, start depending on God 
as your only provider. And, and, and that may seem kind of counterintuitive, like that doesn't even make any sense, that de- independence coming from dependence, that doesn't make sense to me. But again, like we talked about last week, what I've learned in, in the life of trying to follow God is that he's always right. He's always right. He's never been wrong. I've put him to the test, uh, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and he's never been wrong. And so if, if it doesn't make sense, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step out, and I'm going to trust that maybe God knows what he's talking about. And so when I do that, he always proves himself right. And so if, if it doesn't make sense for you to find real independence in a life of depending on God, can I encourage you? Just give it a shot on the off chance that God knows what he's talking about. Just give it a shot. Because he does. It, it turns out that there are some things in your life that you really, I would, I would say all things, but let's go, let's baby step into at least just some things. There are some things in your life that you, that you just need God for, that you just can't do on your own. You know what drives me crazy? I, I think I preached this several weeks ago. That idea that we hear so often of... Um, God's not, he's not going to give you more than you can bear. God's not going to give you more than you can bear. Who here has ever heard that, right? We've all heard that, right? And, and, and we're, I'm going to quote that verse. God's not going to give us more than we can bear. The only problem with that is it's not a verse. It's, it's actually not in the Bible. We're, it's like, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's just not in the Bible, right? I'm, I mean, cleanliness is good. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not in the Bible. What that verse actually says 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation <coughs> has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Hold on. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It doesn't say God's not going to give you more than you can handle. What it says is God's not going to allow you to be tempted in such a way that you can't say no to that temptation. That's the verse that we have based this whole philosophy on of God's not going to give you more than you can handle. The truth is, and, and you guys, if, you're, if you really think about it, you know it just as well as I do. The truth is, God often gives us more than we can handle. Amen? Who here can say that you've had a time in your life where God has definitely given you more than you can handle? We all have. Quit lying to yourself. Quit lying to yourself and quit telling other people and trying to encourage them that God's not going to give them more than they can handle. God gives us more than we can handle all the time. I, that, I have had times in my life, and, and I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a guy like any other guy. I don't like to cry. Occasionally I do. You know, movies about sports and dogs do it before me all the time. <laughs> Occasionally I do cry. But I can remember it was like eight, nine years ago. I was at a, a teen camp and, um, you know, as, as a youth pastor there and, that we had a we had a um, a morning session where the uh, speaker spoke, and I don't remember what I don't remember what the topic was. I just remember at that time I was going through one of the hardest t- seasons of my life. I was really struggling with just some attacks from the enemy, and and just really struggling. And I can remember going down after that message was over, going down to pray, and crying so hard, like just broken and crying so hard. And I like I'm not I don't like crying. But I'm just saying it happened. And I, I, I can just remember, 
I can remember getting, I'm just bent down, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, a kneeling down at a little altar, and I'm crying, and I get, I had cried so hard, I snotted up my glasses. Like, how do you cry that hard? Like, I don't even know, right? Just, just like, how does that even happen? But, I, but my whole point of that is that I have had times in my life where I was just absolutely broken and I'm praying, God, it's, it's, it's like you finally get to that breaking, that threshold point where you're like, God, I, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I, I need you. I need you to show up for me. I, I've done everything I know how to do and I, it, is, it is beyond me. I need you to show up or this is not going to happen. And guess what? That is where God wanted you the whole time. It's where he wanted you the whole time. He wanted you at that place where you're like, where you realize what has always been true. It's not new true. That you are in need of him. And God often gives us more than we can handle to remind us of that fact. Don't let anybody tell you that he doesn't give you. The next time somebody does that, play Wyatt Earp on him. Just start. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> you don't have to do that. I'm just teasing. But that's the thing. God does give us more than we handle. Why? Because he wants to increase our faith and our dependence on him. He does. He challenges us. It's, it's a huge thing. You can play the whole cowboy, cowgirl thing, but again, that road is a short road, and eventually you'll reach the end of it, and you'll realize, I, I just can't do this on my own. And guys, I'm not talking, you know, a, a lot of guys, guys, a, a lot of guys um, kind of resist faith because of that whole idea of, you know, they feel like faith is for weak people or whatever. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to be a weak man. I, I know tons of strong, godly men. And, but when you come to that place where you're like, I, I can't. This is beyond me. I, I need to be depending on God more than depending on me because I tend to screw myself up. That's a huge step. Huge step. And you can still be a strong man a man of character, a man of grit, a man of, of whatever, and still be a man who's dependent on God. Ladies, the same thing. Same thing. So I want to challenge you, instead of trying to believe that I can get this all done on my own, there's nothing I can't do, whatever, instead come to the realization that, you know what, I'm nothing without Jesus. But guess what? With Jesus, I'm everything. It's everything. And I can be strong, and I can cowboy up, and I can do this whole thing hand-in-hand with Christ. And that's where I want us all to be. Get rid of that illusion of the self-made man or whatever. Instead, just embrace who you are in Christ. Because I guarantee you, it's way better than that cowboy anyway. It's way better. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and um, your word is good to us. Um, you're, you're amazing the way that your wisdom trumps the wisdom of the world over and over and over again. <coughs> God, as we try um, more and more to be uh, just, just living in gratitude of your grace and your, your gift of a relationship with us, God, I pray also that you would Help us to depend more on you. That, add, that you would add to our faith the ability to trust you. 
that we would turn to you early in uh, situations of our life instead of waiting until um, we're at our lowest. God, we recognize that you are God and we are not. And um, with that recognition, also, we, we recognize that you know what's best for us better than we know what's best for us. So God, instead, instead of us trying to go out and be all we can be on our own, God, I pray that we would just be all we can be in you. Instead of us asking ourselves or, or trying to fulfill our own dreams and that sort of thing, instead, I, I, I wish that we would start asking you what are your dreams for us and begin to fulfill those dreams. God, if there's anybody in the room that is just struggling to keep it all together right now, it's like they're trying so hard to juggle and balance work and family and life and just everything. And they're feeling frazzled. They feel like they're, in at, the, they're in at the end of their rope. God, I, I, I pray that they would um, just let those balls that they're juggling just drop and that they would just embrace you and learn to depend on you. And God, not that we become lazy, not that we stop working. That's not the point at all. But God, that in our work, that we would just learn to trust you and depend on you. God, bring us to a place where we pray like it depends on you and work like it depends on us. Thank you so much for your word to us. Pray that your word would just take root in our lives and begin to change us and transform us. God, if there's anybody in the room that is just struggling with the idea of your grace, your salvation being a free gift, something they don't have to earn, something that they'll never, never be good enough to earn. They're having trouble letting go of that, that idea that they need to get themselves cleaned up before they can be in a relationship with you. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just break through that that they would just begin to realize how much you love them, how much you care for them, how much you desperately want to be in a relationship with them, and that you do indeed love them just the way they are. God, I'm also thankful that you love us so much that you don't leave us just the way that we are, that you spend our lives transforming us into the people that you want us to be. So for myself, I, I just pray this morning that you would continue that work in my life transform me. You're so good. You alone are worthy of our praise and we give it to you this morning. We ask you to lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.